If you'd like to follow in the Church Bible, it can be found on page 969. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Glory to you, O Lord. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The second reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. It can be found on page 1179 of the Church Bible. Page 1179. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Could I encourage you to keep your Bibles open at the Philippians reading? which is page 1,179 in the Church Bibles, Philippians 2. For those of you that are new and were confused by our reversal of the readings, it's because we're concentrating this term on this letter to the Philippians, so we've been digging into it specifically. And so it was the second reading, because this is what I really want to be speaking from this morning. 
Hopefully, you'll know that this letter, so far, has been all about Jesus Christ. It's been about his glory, his centrality, and what he has done in the message of the gospel. And what Paul leads us to now is the therefore question. What therefore should we do? And before we dig into that, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might make us holy, that we might be conformed to your will. You might lead us in your ways. And that this morning, you might reveal yourself afresh to us all. Amen. Well, before we do dig in, I want to start with a question for each and every one of you. And the question is this, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? It's probably not something that you've been asked as an adult for quite a long time. Last Sunday, I was with uh, a few people from uh, church having lunch together, and at the table, there was a 14-year-old boy. And he was asked twice during the course of this lunch, at various points, what do you want to be when you grow up? And of course, the poor boy had no idea what to say, especially because his mother was at the table, so he had to give the right answer. I wanted to ask that of each and every one of us, because that is at the heart of this reading that we had read a moment ago about growing up. I'm really going to speak from verse 12, that after the great Christ hymn that Ruth spoke on last week, speaking of Christ, who was equal with God, but decided to humble himself, became one of us, and then... He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God was pleased to highly exalt him, raising him from the dead, putting him as the name above all other names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It's a great hymn of praise that we heard last week. Paul says, well, what does that mean for us now? Therefore, what does that mean? And he says, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Our response to that great act of Christ, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, is to work out our salvation. And the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to work out one's salvation? Well, elsewhere, Paul writes that the moment we were saved was the moment when we were able to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts the confirmation of that, the resurrection that God raised him from the dead. And when we were able to do those two things, we were saved. When we were able to proclaim Christ's lordship, in our hearts and with our mouths. And for many of us, that was many years ago. For some of us, it's more recent. For some of you, perhaps you still need to be able to come to that place of saying it. That is what salvation is. Choosing Christ as Lord. Choosing to renounce yourself as Lord. And choosing to put him on the throne. It's to say in advance what every tongue will one day say. What every single knee will bow before the Lord Jesus confessing knowledge of. 
that he is Lord. And we as Christians say, yes, he is, and it starts with me. He's my Lord. And so when Paul says, work out your salvation, what he is saying is to make that real, to make it true. Make him Lord over every area of life. And working out your salvation is Christ's Lordship spreading year by year, day by day, week by week, over every area of life, over our character, over our purpose and calling in life, over our personal inclinations and desires. His Lordship becoming true. That's what working out our salvation is, making what's going to happen in the future, his proclaimed Lordship, personal in the here and now. And this is what it looks like to grow up as a Christian, to become more and more under Christ's lordship. This is what we want to be when we grow up, under his lordship. And I want to give from this passage two quick reasons why we should aim for this. Firstly, because you haven't made it yet. You haven't got there yet. Nobody can say that they don't need to keep working out their salvation No one has got to the point of perfection of completely working it out. In the passage, the verse begins, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. You see, the Philippian church had started out on a good trajectory of obedience. But now Paul is saying, I'm going to be away from you, perhaps for a long time, perhaps forever now. And if that is the case, well, you have to keep on that trajectory of obedience. You have to keep on keeping on working out your salvation. You can't rest. You can't stop on that good trajectory. Keep going. Despite the past, despite their spiritual history, they were called to keep on working out their salvation. And he writes to the whole church here, from the oldest followers of Christ who'd been following him for that, at that point, probably for decades, to the youngest followers of Christ, who perhaps had only been following him for a few days and weeks. He says to each and every one of them, you've got to keep on working out your salvation. You've got to keep it working to make Christ Lord of every area of life. Whatever age or stage you're at, you haven't got there yet. There's still more to do. And the truth is, for each and every one of us, we still have a way to go in working out our salvation. No one here, myself included, has got there yet. Where Christ is fully Lord of our life in every area. There's a well-known story of the great Victorian preacher C.H. Spurgeon, who was approached one day by a man who claimed to have not sinned for 20 years. And he came before him and said, what do you say to that, great preacher? And C.H. Spurgeon is recorded to have taken one look at the guy and then stamped violently down on his foot. And the man, of course, shouted out, you fool, why did you just do that? That was awful. And C.H. Spurgeon replied, well, of course, I've just sinned and I'm sorry for that, but you've just broken your 20-year record by your reaction. It's a bit of a silly story because, uh, of course, it just exposed the inner sin that was in that man's heart. That none of us have got there. Not a single one of us. And this isn't to put anyone down. Some of you, because you've chosen to follow Christ consistently over the years, are completely different people. 
you've been changed to be more loving, more consecrated to him, more fully walking in his calling. You're completely different people because you've chosen to step into his lordship. But the call here is to keep going, to keep going because you're not there yet. Secondly, the reason we're to work out our salvation is because God is at work in the midst of it. You see, verse 12 ends that we are to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The two words in the Greek here are the words phobos and trembos. Trembos, literally where we get our word for trembling from. It's the right translation here. And phobos, it's where we get the phobic root for some fears that we have, like arachnophobia or claustrophobia, the extreme fear of spiders or closed spaces that some people have. And Paul is saying, this is the attitude you're to have as you work out your salvation. And of course, the question is, why? It's a bit extreme, Paul. Why should we have such an attitude? Well, read on. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's because God is the one who is at work as you work out your salvation. But in essence, you have no real power to transform yourself from the inside out. It is God's power that enables you to come increasingly under Christ's lordship. And somehow, we are partners with God in this. Both of us fully committed to the you and me project of coming under Christ's lordship. God's already shown his commitment, of course, in this, in bringing us salvation in the first place, in dying upon the cross to bring us that free gift of grace, in drawing us to himself that moment we did choose, whenever it was, to confess his lordship. He's already shown his commitment to us, and he calls us to step up and match that commitment in our own lives. And the reason that this should lead to fear and trembling is that God isn't like a silent business partner in this, who can be easily ignored and pushed to one side. This is the Lord of the whole universe, the creator, the ruler of the galaxies, the eternal judge of mankind. And it's this God who's fully committed to working with us in working out our salvation. No wonder it should lead to fear and trembling. Such a mighty God at work within us. Often in the modern church, we think of God as a loving father and a compassionate savior. And of course, these are biblical, true, and to be held onto firmly. But we often forget that he is also the Holy One. He is the Lord and Creator. He's the one the Bible describes as the consuming fire. You don't trifle with him. You don't ignore him. You don't talk flippantly to him. And you don't ignore what he has done for you. You seek to fully participate in the work that he is doing in your life. His passion for you to come under Christ's lordship, to become all that you are meant to be, to flourish in his kingdom, to become the man or woman he's called you to be. We do so with fear and trembling because God is at work inside of us. Well, let me end with this. Over the past couple of weeks, I've had a workman into my house. 
sent by the Church of England to repair various bits of the house. And wonderfully, he was sent to replace my entire bath and uh, repaint my bathroom and WC and replace one of the WCs as well. He's in for a big job, actually. And when he came, this guy's called Luke. I hope you're listening, Luke. Um, He's a lovely guy, really diligent and very professional and started hard at work, replaced the bath, repainted the walls, replaced the WC, and it looked amazing. And it looked like, oh, thank you so much. I no longer have to apologize to my guests about the state of my bath. I found out about Portsmouth's hard water the hard way here. And he, he then, unfortunately, disappeared completely off the scene for a number of days, and he hadn't finished the job. The side panel on the bath was missing. He hadn't put all the fixtures back up, and he'd missed a, paint of, a, a, a coat of paint. And I waited for days and days, wondering, is he going to come back? He seemed like such a lovely guy. And of course he was, and there was good reasons for this. And eventually I called up the company and said, look, what's going on? And he said, oh, sorry, yes, there's been a number of other things going on. We're going to send him back in to you tomorrow. It was okay, because he had left the place in a usable state. I was able to have a shower every day. Um, I was able to use the rooms. But then he came in on Friday and finished the job. And it looks amazing. It's spotless and clean and perfect. And as I was mulling upon that, I thought, well, here's a picture of what Paul's saying here. Because many of us have started so well, diligently, hard at work, replaced the old with the new, come under Christ's lordship. But the job isn't finished. There are bits missing. And we're to work hard. We're to endeavor to, to that point, to that day where everything is finished, where it's all spotless, where it's gleaming, where Christ is fully Lord of our lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you.